This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 104 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and today I'm joined by Brady and David. On this week's pod, we're going to be talking about the Panthers' big road win on the gridiron over a ranked Coastal Carolina team and previewing the team's chances to clinch a third straight bowl appearance this Saturday against Arkansas State in Center Park Stadium. We'll also reflect on a mixed week of results for the men's basketball team and take some listener questions. But first, let's go ahead and get right into that football talk. Football, of course, earning a 42 to 40 win over number 21 or 22 ranked Coastal Carolina, depending on which poll you subscribe to, uh, with a hashtag Ponce over Shants. Thanks, Taylor, from episode two of the Thursday Night Podcast all the way back in 2019 for coining that one, albeit with the incorrect pronunciation of Chanticleers. I anyway, I did Ponce over Shants. Did you? Okay, well, we'll play the tape he right now. He was Pants over Chance, and I, I adapted it to make it because... It, it, that was under the assumption it's Chanticleers, which it is aggressively not, and Coastal fans are very quick to tell you that. And so I, I, I adapted it to Ponce over Shans. I'm taking credit for that one. Okay, I'm proud of that okay. one. Okay, all right. Well, anyway, so let's let's, uh, let's go ahead and move on with the, uh, the game recap here real quick before we get in discussion. After a back-and-forth first quarter with two touchdowns apiece, Georgia State led by as much as 28-16 to in the second and took a five-point lead into the locker room at halftime. The third quarter and early fourth quarter went the way of Coastal, however, as they took the lead for the first time since 7-0 when Shermari Jones got his third rushing touchdown of the game with 9 minutes 15 seconds to go, and a two-point conversion made it 34-28 shots. But after struggling for much of the second half, the Georgia State offense got into gear and retook the lead on a fourth and goal two-yard touchdown pass from the hometown kid Darren Granger to senior wide receiver Terrence Dixon with four minutes, 53 seconds left. They added onto their lead when John Trey Hunter recovered a Jamil Muhammad forced fumble at the Coastal 8-yard line, and Tucker Gregg got his hat trick with a four-yard rushing TD with two minutes, 36 seconds to go. Panther fans had to sweat it out as an Isaiah likely touchdown on the shots following drive cut the deficit to two. But when Thomas Gore stuffed Shamari Jones on the two point conversion and Jakaius Cradle recovered the onside kick, the upset was complete. So, gentlemen, first ranked win in Georgia State football program history, undefeated in Conway and uh, keeping the Panthers hopes alive for an off chance at the Sunbelt East title. How are we feeling? Hello, gentlemen. Uh, I guess I'll start first with, you know, kind of my take on everything. I feel pretty good. And, I, you know, I think the one thing that I wanted to emphasize last week was if Grayson McCall didn't play and the, the way that Georgia State was playing, they need to find a way to win this football game. And that's exactly what they did. It wasn't pretty. I mean, you can see the final score. You know, the offense was great. I think a really good uh, offense in Coastals, you know, still found a way to put it together with a backup quarterback. Um, you know, the defense, I think the defense, they made plays when they needed to. They, uh, you know, obviously they got two more turnovers. You know, they're doing a really good job of forcing turnovers right now. The offense didn't give the ball back. Um, I don't believe there was anything super crazy with special teams, um, you know, not at the same rate that it was with Louisiana, but it was a really good game and a game that kind of Georgia State has seen themselves in a couple of times before this year. And they finally found a way to put it all together. 
And I, you know, hats off to them. And, you know, coach coach's comments after the game were kind of something similar because he, you know, called back to the Louisiana game. He called back to the Auburn game and it was like, well, they, you know, it was the final couple minutes of the game and they finally, you know, finished playing a complete game in all three phases. So, you know, it's it's good to be on the other side of one of those games. Yeah, the only special teams thing was another punt return that went a long way. They got called back on a penalty that, you know, not all of it was on that penalty. And so you've just got to make sure you stop giving up 50 yard returns because Louisiana had that point return taken off the board because of a penalty previous week. So little thing there. But you're right that there was nothing that counted and that factored in the game really with special teams. Uh, uh, Some numbers for what you were talking about with Coastal's offense, their season average after that game stands at 42.3 points per game. And so they got 40, sure, and they didn't have their backup quarterback, but that kind of showed that they're a good offense and they still basically put up what they usually do. But the difference is, is their defensive average is 19.8 points per game. So you well outperformed the output that other teams have been getting. Some of that's due to level of competition, as <laughs> even Coach Elliott was one to mention in his post game, was talking about the, the strength of schedule for Coastal. He had to get... One dig in there in his post game, uh, and the other part of it was just Georgia. They played a really good game on offense. Uh, there was a lull in the third quarter, and you know when you go three and out, the obvious thing is that you don't get a lot of plays to work through a lull. Like Georgia State has had drives like those drives started where okay, they're not really moving anywhere. They get to a third manageable and they convert and they move the chains and. Then maybe they stall out a little later, but they get more plays, you know, whatever. This was just a case where every time they were getting out-executed in the third quarter and not getting another chance to extend the drive or not giving themselves a chance to extend the drive. But after... I want to kind of just to say, you know, one thing that you also have to take in consideration is... Coastal had the ball for like eight minutes on a drive in that third quarter. You know, like, yes, obviously in uh, Georgia State's three offensive drives, they gained negative four yards, eight yards, and then five yards. That's not good. (laughs) But, you know, I also want to point out the fact that Coastal had, they put a really nice, long, sustained drive together that kept the ball out of the Panthers' hands. And I mean, you know, Georgia State likes to run that up-tempo offense. You know, they they want to hit that 80 play mark every single game. And, you know, they they still hit it. Like, I don't want to say that they didn't hit it, but they coastal prevented them from getting going in the third quarter. And then you saw the offense kind of kick right back into gear in the fourth quarter. So, yeah. And, and, you know, the fourth quarter scored on the drive that you had the ball other than the one that extended over from leading into the fourth quarter from the third quarter. And you kind of had that again in the, from the, the first drive ended the turnover on downs in coastal territory on just a play where you just got beat up front and, we don't see that very often, but it happened. And so Georgia State gets no points on that drive. And then pretty much the rest of the way in the first half, uh, they looked like themselves and they put up a lot of points in a hurry. And, you know, you got the big jam touchdown run, which we always love to see on the Thursday night podcast. And you just saw a comfortable Darren Granger who was both getting some quick throws that got his confidence going maybe a little bit. And you also saw him going through his reads and you also saw him getting downfield. And it's a lot of stuff that, you know, we were talking about in the run up to the, this game that, you know, we had to see that after the Louisiana game that I think a lot of people had questions about the passing game after. And 
Yeah, I will use this moment to plug the Thursday postgame show, which it's right after the game or a couple hours after the game. We talk about it. So if you were excited about the Coastal win and wanted to get more Georgia State fill, you could have gotten it on that pod and you can get it for every postgame for the rest of the season. But I will say a point I said on there again here is that last week on the pod, I said Darren doesn't necessarily need to be Mr. Gunslinger. He needs to be. Dan Ellington circa 2019, where he's making enough plays. He's keeping you honest with the passing game. Darren ended up with 198 passing yards against Coastal. In 2019, Georgia State's offense averaged 198 passing yards for the season. So it was almost exactly to a T the performance you needed to see from him. I think the rushing attack could have been better. I think Coastal's front did a good job against it. But if you replicate that passing performance against other defenses coming up, with the running that you know is going to come, that's a, you know, you're not going to, you're going to score 40 again against teams doing stuff like that. Right. You know, I, I agree with what you said about Coastal kind of stopping the run in the second half. Um, I think a little bit, at, when I was watching it live, I wanted to say, oh, I feel like Tucker Gregg hasn't been on the field for a long time. And then, you know, kind of looking at it, I think they just gave him a break during the third quarter and just let Jam kind of be the feature guy. And, you know, well, it was nine kind of- plays. Well, right. It was really six plays in the third quarter or eight plays, seven plays, whatever. Like, I don't know how much the rotations would have been different if they were putting drives together. Like, I think we would have seen more Tucker in those situations. <laughs> It was a jam drive and they punted because after three plays because they didn't get a first down. They didn't move the ball. Exactly. You know, and it, it wasn't even like, it, it, you know, it wasn't even like jam had a bad day because he ended up being the leading rusher of the afternoon, just under a hair under a uh, hundred yards. But I think coastal just found some success on those couple of drives. And then Tucker comes back in, in the fourth quarter, they start moving the ball and, you know, jam kind of mixes and and then, you know, boom goes the dynamite. Yeah. And, you know, can't say enough about just what this win finally getting it, but what it means for this program. It's been something fans in the program alike have been really waiting to see, waiting to have accomplished and, you can say whatever, you know, obviously McCall was out. And so team with maybe their best player out, it's not like you got Coastal with their best, but they were still ranked at that point. You really can't. That's a Coastal problem. You still had to go win the game. It that's still counts still, as a ranked win. Exactly. That's still a good win. And, it you know, it doesn't matter who lines up on the other side. You still were in that game. You still played well and you still won. That's all and that I mean, matters. The, you can play that out in any situation, too. Like the Auburn, if they had won the Auburn game, it would have been, oh, Bo Nix was out. They had the backup in. The backup couldn't finish the drill. And so, you know, no matter what, no matter what game you win, there's always going to be games you can play with stuff like that. And so ignore all of that. That's all surface noise. The actual important thing is in the game late, made the plays you need to, got the ranked win. And yeah, we talked about some on Saturday after the game. We talked about it on the pod as well, that winning this game did so much for the rest of your season as far as, you know, you've got to win one of two now at home to get a bowl game as just a minor goal, which is something that should be an accomplishment every season. And it was in, it was in doubt for a little bit there. You know, when they started one and four, it was, you've got to go beat the teams you're supposed to, and you can't have any slip ups and you probably have to pull one of those upsets to feel really comfortable. And that's what they were able to do. And Jordan said it at the top and it's still, you know, you're a Troy fan if you're a Georgia State fan this week because 
if App State beats Troy, they are the champions of the East and they will go to Lafayette for a rematch with Louisiana in the championship. And so when Jordan says that there is a chance, the chances are still alive for the East is slim and it involves Georgia State winning out and App State losing out. But, you know, we're sitting here. It's November 17th as of recording this podcast. Georgia State still has a chance at the Sunbelt East, which you would have made things easier winning a couple more games in conference, you know, not losing to App, finish out that game against Louisiana, but you're still sitting at only two conference losses. You got a chance at six and two in conference, which is would be the best Sunbelt record that Georgia State's had since joining the conference. And all of that after a one and four start where there were so many questions. So the turnaround has really been something that is to be commended. And I want to hammer that point home because after that App State game, it looked bad. It looked really bad. You know, you were in that game, was it like 14-8 at the half or something like that? 14-6. Yeah, 14-6. 14-9, not that long after the half. Right, exactly. I believe uh, Georgia State scored first in the second half. And then App State just rattled off a ton of points and won that game 45-16. And, you know, coming off of that Auburn game, coming off the UNC and Army game, like, who's going to play quarterback for Georgia State? To be here all these games later and factually state the point that Georgia State still is meeting or on track to, uh, you know, kind of be where their goals were heading into the season. That's incredible. If you flip the outcome of that one half, just that one half, it is very conceivable that we could be sitting here right now saying that Georgia State is in the driver's seat to go to the Sunbelt Championship game, given their two opponents the next two weeks. And granted, you can't overlook them, obviously, like Georgia State I hasn't earned the benefit of the doubt in that respect yet. I still remember that Idaho game. Was that 2015, 2017? Yeah, 2017. Well, yeah. Two, the, the first one they played against Idaho was at Idaho in 2016. It was with the interim coach, and it was another one where it's like, like sitting here now where this team has been going to bowl games a lot of years and getting when it, having an 0-2 all-time record against Idaho that probably is never going to change because you're never going to be in a conference with them and you're not going to schedule Idaho in a non-conference game because why would you (laughs) it's the other side of the country. Uh, So yeah, to mention that not to go all into dour Georgia state pastime, but yeah, being 0 two against Idaho all time. And yeah, that, that was a rough one in 2017. It's been better of late. So I I will say that. Yes, it has. I, I guess my point is just that like Georgia state should, we'll talk about it obviously, but Georgia state should handle Arkansas state. I'm not necessarily worried about Arkansas state. I feel like Troy is going to give Georgia state a little bit of trouble, Um, but that might be, that might just be my own personal biases. Even if I think Georgia state will win that game, I feel like it's just going to be one of those annoying end of season games. So, but it's, it's, it is incredible that Georgia state is even in a position where we can talk about them still potentially going to the Sunbelt championship game. And, you know, it's taken care of in a conference play. They are at a little bit more than this in a, the season total, but they are at 26.2 points allowed on defense in Sunbelt games. On offense, they are scoring. That's including 20, allowing 40 twice right. to two teams. Like, that's right. nuts. And on offense, it's 29.8 points, which is better than the season mark, which is about 25. So you've improved on 
your season totals in conference play in both of those, you know, raw, just the numbers of points you're putting up and giving up. And so if you want to extend that out even further in conference play, Georgia State's tied for the best with a plus six turnover margin. You know, I think one point that people are, you know, likely to come back at us on and say, oh, Georgia State, you know, hasn't beaten, you know, a team that's bowl eligible besides Coastal Carolina. And I guess my question to you is, so what? You know, yes, Texas State isn't good. Yes, ULM isn't good. Yes, Georgia Southern isn't good. One, they beat Coastal. Two, they were close against Louisiana. Like, this is still a team that is playing well. Like, the reason those part of the reason why those teams are considered not good is because this one is good and beat them. Yes, they have other opponents. Yes, they have other issues, you know, but you want to see Georgia State doing to those teams what they've done. That's exactly what good teams do. It'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see the rest of the way. I mean, like I say, you need app to lose to Troy, which is, you know, Troy's playing. They have to win a game, one of these last two to go to a bowl game for the first time under Chip Lindsey. <laughs> and they play at home against Georgia Southern the week after. And, you know, Southern is struggling, but it's still a rivalry game. So there's still that little bit of a factor. And I'm sure they'd love nothing more than to rain on apps parade. But it's definitely an uphill task. Even if you just say Georgia State's going to win the last two games, which is not at all a given. Uh, so still going to temper the expectations on that front. Uh, you still need two people to help you out in a major way, one of whom you're going to be playing the next week. And uh, so just laying it out as it is, that's reality. But it's still cool to be at this point in the season and talking about it as a possibility. It's an outside possibility. We will grant that, but it is still something to be said. and. Yeah, like I said, I mean, where the season was going and where it could have gone to where it is now, I mean, incredible change. Credit to the guys for bucking up and starting to play a little bit better and get wins on the board. All right, so moving on to this weekend's contest, the Arkansas State Red Wolves come into Center Park Stadium 2 p.m. on ESPN3. Red Wolves are 2-8 on the season after notching their first FBS win of 2021, last time out at ULM and snapping an eight-game losing skid. Georgia State trails in the all-time series by a margin of 6-1, with the lone win coming the last time these teams met in Atlanta in 2019. Butch Jones is in charge in his first season in Jonesboro. He's previously led Central Michigan, Cincinnati, and famously the Champions of Life at Tennessee to multiple bowl appearances, each in a head coaching career that's lasted since 2007. Arkansas State are the conference's most prolific passing offense at an average of 321.7 yards per game. But in contrast, they have the worst rushing offense and defense and are the worst team in the conference in scoring defense by some margin, allowing 41.1 points a game. Lane Hatcher has taken the starting job at quarterback and he's averaging 315.5 passing yards in the two times previous that he's paced the Panthers. So, gentlemen... Arkansas State, what are our feelings about this game? Yeah, I mean, David did lay it out a little bit earlier that it's a game that you should win and it's one that you should look at and say, yes, Georgia State should have a handle on this one. Uh, I'm checking where the line is at at real time. The last time I saw it was minus 17 in favor of Georgia State, which indicates Vegas expects it to be a comfortable win for Georgia State. The last time... Georgia State had a spread in their favor that high. It was ULM, and they won 55-21. And so 
if all else, you know, if all goes as Georgia State can do, it could be another game like that, especially since this one's a home game. But that's not something that happens because Georgia State shows up and is like, okay, we're the better team. We're going to win. Like, it's going to come down to doing the work. It's going to come down to establishing the run like we know Georgia State can do. It's going to be down to controlling, you know, taking care of the the football, getting turnovers, uh, just the usual stuff. But you're going to have to go through it because they're 2-8 and eight and they've had a lot of struggles on defense. But Butch has got those guys playing tough. They're coming in off of a win, their first FBS win of the season. They're going to be feeling good. And so it's one where you've got to know that the opponent's coming in ready to play regardless of the record. And you just kind of got to execute what you execute. And that should take care of it. But that's not, you know, a given. You, you've got to go do it. You absolutely do. You know, I wouldn't dare call this a trap game. Um because it doesn't have necessarily the makings of a trap game. But I think Arkansas State does one thing really well, and that thing is just so happens to be Georgia State's probably their biggest weakness. Um, you know, teams have been able to kind of throw all over them. I don't foresee necessarily the barn burner that was on Thursday night last year. Um, that game was still incredible. Uh, but they still are a top passing offense and Georgia state has had trouble against some inferior passing offenses. Um, So it's going to be, I think this game will come down to Georgia state's offense being able to just score at will. And it's going to be like last year where it's probably going to be a case where Georgia state needs to be in the forties, fifties of points in order to come out with it. I think Georgia state's getting a turnover. They're, they're doing a really good job of getting turnovers. I believe they're plus eight in conference play since that since app game? loss. Yeah, since that not, app loss. Not in a, yeah, because that did have some turnovers, so it's plus eight since that. It's plus six in conference. Gotcha. Okay. So they're, you know, they're plus eight. They've done a really good job of both getting turnovers and protecting the ball. And that's something that's going to need to happen again this week. Um, I can't foresee a situation where that isn't the case. I mean, for as good as Lane Hatcher has been since taking uh being the starter he's got 11 interceptions this year you know that's that's something and that's an opportunity for georgia state secondary to be like all right this guy's gonna throw all over us but you know if we're in a position to get the ball they're gonna have to get it you know and i think last week from my personal vantage point i thought the d-line played one of if not their best game you know they were disruptive um i'm including the linebackers in what i say this uh, but just in, in straight up pass protection or excuse me, in just pass in against the pass is the phrase that I'm looking for. You know, they were batting balls down at the line. They were getting in Carpenter's face and hitting him right after he threw, you know, I mean, that was the type of uh, disruption that you're looking for out of this defensive line. And I think that they're going to need to have another day where they're, you know, being as aggressive and tenacious as they were a week ago. Uh, But if Georgia state is capable of running the ball, like we think that they can, it should definitely be a good game for them. Yeah. And the other factor I think for me is I'm not discounting their ability to pass the ball. Hatcher slings it all over the place. Corey Rucker is technically still freshman. Uh, they've extended because he had was a freshman last year, and they're one of the teams that are just reclassifying everyone a year back because of the extra COVID year. So he's a freshman again. He has 13 touchdowns. He has eight last year. He's up to five this year. 
dude just gets in the end zone and he's a threat down the field. And so Georgia State's going to have to make sure that he doesn't get behind them on big plays. But the other factor for me with that is that Arkansas State is running 79 yards a game, 2.8 yards a carry. They have four rushing touchdowns in 2021. Their season high was their opener against this FB, FCS Central Arkansas. They got 194. They've had more than 100 in one other game, 113 against Louisiana on October 21st. So it's the, the quickest way you can accidentally let them get rushing success is forgetting about the run game. But whereas I think a lot of weeks, Georgia State's base is we know this team wants to run the ball and we're setting up to stop the run and maybe that's how they get beaten in some of the passing game is that they're getting caught out looking for the run. I don't think that's the case this week. I think they know going in that Arkansas State's going to be looking to throw the ball a lot. They throw it about 70% of the time. And so something that will go in Georgia State's favor is they're not going to be getting fooled when Arkansas State is dropping and throwing it all over the place. That's what they're expecting going into this game. And so you got to find a way of not letting that overcorrect to the point where you're accidentally leaving the middle of the field open and Arkansas State's calling like draw plays and getting random 10-yard gains on the ground because you don't want to let them beat you in a way that they don't beat anyone like that. But I do think that that is something defensively. They're going to be ready for that. And, you know, Coach Elliott did caution in his uh, Monday talk to the media about the difference between just going all up blitzing against them and making sure they're not losing all of the, you know, if they blitz everyone guy like Corey Rucker can be over the top wide open in man coverage and that's how you get beaten. So I think you're going to see some zonage, which might make people squirm a little bit, but I think you're going to see trying to make Lane Hatcher find the open guys in some of these zones and go with four in pressure. And, you know, honestly, you know, we've been seeing the increasing presence of Jamil Muhammad. He had his highest snap count against Coastal last game and got that big strip sack at the end. And so, you know, you might be able to tap into something there where you're getting a guy who's looking as good as a guy has looked coming off the edge like that since Jordan Strawn was no longer in the program. And, you know, he obviously those are lofty shoes to have to fill. He led the NCAA in sacks last year, but it might be a case where you're trying to see if guys can start to make those plays without needing to send the house. And then maybe you adapt and have some blitzes you can call. You know, I, the one thing I will say about the defense is that it's obviously not that blitz happy, but I, I have noticed more blitzing this year. And there's also been a lot of times late in games where they've been going to the blitz call and it's been perfectly called and executed. And so there's almost something to making sure you're calling your picking your spots because, you know, I think that that is just there's a philosophical difference between maybe what Nate Fuquay does on defense and what some people would want to do with their defense. But I think it is a true thing to say that Georgia State doesn't get beat deep that often. And part of that is because they're not going crazy heavy metal blitzing all the time and getting in those situations. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see the long way of saying it'll be interesting to see what the defensive mindset is for stopping Arkansas State's passing attack. Yeah, good luck with that. I, I mean, I'm not a defensive coordinator, so y'all have fun. A question from Carlos on Twitter, who asked us if we see Darren Granger having another successful week in the passing game. So, uh, gentlemen, thoughts? Yeah, I, and this is a good time to just talk about the offense in general more. Um, we talked about the running game, and, you know, there's not a lot you you can say about the running game with, you know, 
Georgia State's top 20 rushing attack. Arkansas State is one of the worst rushing defenses in the country this year. So if it's a situation where Georgia State isn't getting what they want in the rushing game, they're just, you know, that execution isn't there. And But another part of that is Darren's ability. And we saw that against Coastal. We saw them take advantage of situations where Coastal was looking for the run or looking for a short pass and they were going over the top with some of the shot plays. And so if you can get in a situation where you're catching a already bad Arkansas state rushing defense out of position on runs because you're able to get throws downfield, that's the situation where, you know, if you've got a spread out, spread out Arkansas state defense and Jam Williams is just going to take a hand up off the middle. Good luck. Uh, and the other part of it is that Arkansas state isn't nearly as poor against the the pass defense, but they've been giving up some passing yardage as well. And so I think Georgia State is going to look to run first. And so this might be a game that if Darren isn't nearly as crisp as he was against Coastal, then it might not hurt you completely. But I think he will still have the opportunities. And it really wasn't rocket science. It wasn't anything really different or special that got done in that game. It was just... They got Darren some good looks that he could make good throws on. The offensive line didn't let pressure in, and he was staying in good pockets. And so, you know, I I, I guess I don't really have an answer specifically what has to happen for it to happen again, because it seems like it's just if guys are making the plays supposed to protecting him and if he's got all day and the play calls are there for him to make throws. I think he can make those throws. I think that's what we've seen is that, you know, when it broke down against Louisiana, there were some times where the pass protection wasn't there. And it's other times where he, he just missed throws for whatever reason, maybe he heard footsteps, but if he's had another day where he's not feeling those footsteps, he seems like that's just, he's able to do that. I'll play devil's advocate, I guess, and just say, I, I guess contrarian and just say straight up. No, like I, I don't think that, uh, Darren Granger is going to repeat his performance this week uh, against Arkansas State. But I'm here to tell you that that's going to be okay. I think Georgia State, their ability to run the ball is too good. Arkansas State's deficiency in stopping the run is too large. And Georgia State is just going to do, you know, dance with the girl that brung you or whatever the saying is. I don't live in the South anymore. Um, They're going (laughs) to. You have a comment? It's. I just, is that really a Southern thing? I'm pretty sure. I guess, I don't know. Brung might be the giveaway there. I th- yeah, I, I only heard it when I was in the South. But anyways, um, I yeah, I really think that Georgia State is just going to run rampant over Arkansas State. Um, you might see Darren get involved in the pass game just to keep it from being one dimensional, you know, and I guess if he throws like 10 times and completes like eight of those passes, but the two incompletions are just wild overthrows. You could say, Oh, he wasn't better than this past week. But you know, I think the game plan is just very clearly going to be where Georgia state, we're going to run the ball and that's what they're going to do. Also worth saying, we saw again, another week where Sam Pinckney was even more involved and even more. It's clear that he's back. We saw Cornelius McCoy on the field. He was on something of a snap count, it seemed like, but he was playing competitive football. He got a couple of catches. And so, you know, if you're looking for reasons to buy the passing game, Darren has never had more healthy weapons this year than that. And we haven't even talked all this pod about Roger Carter and Aubrey Payne, who, again, did exactly what you want them to do as passing options for Georgia State. 
All right. So, of course, basketball, next topic of discussion here. And what a week it was in men's basketball on both sides of the coin. Georgia State was tied at 42 at home against Northeastern last Friday, but clamped down on defense, pulled away in the end, beating Northeastern 83-64. And on the other side, the Panthers were less fortunate Tuesday night, running into a determined and red-hot Richmond team who made 16 three-pointers on 29 attempts and shot 61% overall for the game on the way to a convincing 94-78 win. That was made closer only by a closing 17-2 run by Georgia State's reserves. So, uh, a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde here from the Panthers, huh? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, my my first thought is just that after the Richmond game, I thought back to what Coach Anir had said to the media after the Northeastern game, or it might have been after the, uh, the Bruton Parker game. After one of the games, he was talking about how there's probably going to be some growing pains with this team and that it would be lovely if they just come out in in the next couple of weeks and start shooting all over the place and covering up some of those cracks, but that he expected with the current lineup construction and with the guys kind of finding their roles, that it wasn't going to be nearly as simple as maybe had been hoped. And you kind of saw that exactly play out against Richmond and you saw a little bit of that against Northeastern, but the team played a really good second half and the offense was good all game in that game. And you defended your home court and all that. And that was a, a good win to have ended up stretching it out to 19, made it look like a real quality win. And on the other side of things, you made the Richmond game less of a bad loss at the end and maybe less indicative of how the score actually played out. But you can still look at that and say, Hey, reserves finished strong. You only lost by 16 and I I will say this and I said this to the Thursday night people on Tuesday night that I defy you to tell me the rest of the season you know at the end of the year that you're still going to remember exactly what went wrong in this Richmond game like at the end of the day it's a game that you would want to be competitive in it's disappointing to see some of where it went wrong but it's not going to be one of those games that haunts you you're not going to remember that it was 30 something and then it got down to 16 at the end I'm going to say something that's going to sound kind of mean and kind of bad, but I feel like anybody here who watches the Panthers and just the Sun Belt at large will understand what I mean. If you look at these numbers for Georgia State, this looks like a Sun Belt. This looks like a game good enough to win a Sun Belt basketball game. The free throw percentage is low. It's not great. Um, 50% they shot they had 20 attempts which is good but they made only 10 of them um, the, they were even on turnovers 13 apiece um, they, Georgia State got one fewer steal 10 to 9 um, and they out rebounded them 36 to 35 and Georgia State shot 45 from the floor and 43 from uh, 3 by all accounts in my eyes that is good enough to win a Sunbelt basketball game. The problem, and I think the difference between where a Georgia State is and where, say, a Richmond is, is that assist column. I think the thing that impressed me the most about Richmond was the fluidity in which they moved the ball. I mean, even when they went, they didn't have guys cutting. They just had guys, you know, kind of staying and sagging behind. Nice little dribble drive, kick out to that open man. Boom, three, boom, open jumper. 
you know, you haven't seen that from Georgia State as effectively this year, I would say. Even in the Northeastern win, Georgia State got out assisted 17 to 16, which is pretty impressive for a team that you beat by 19 points. I don't want to sit here and tell you that Georgia State has a ball movement or assist problem. They've played three games. That's I'm not I'm not here to draw large conclusions from the opponents that Georgia State has played or, you know, how they've played because they're not even healthy. But I will say this. There have been times in these games where I have noticed that Georgia State has gotten a little stagnant on offense as they have done over the past two years. Um, It was pretty much the entire first half of the Richmond game and a little bit in the second of the Northeastern game. And that's something that's going to, it's just going to need to be cleaned up. You know, whether that means that Georgia state is a hot, an efficient offense that doesn't utilize a lot of passing to get their points. That's fine. Whether they're attacking the rim and they improve the free throw shooting. That's fine. Or, you know, they could be a high movement offense and get, you know, a ton of assists and, you know, they're spreading the ball around like that's also fine. But all I know is I'm more I I don't want to say concerned. I'm more aware of the kind of the offensive lulls that I'm worried that a team put up 94 points on Georgia State. I think the defense will be there when it needs to be. It's November. I'm sort of the opposite. Um Early on, if there were anything to take away, I don't think it's entirely coincidence that the last two teams have had really good shooting performances from three against you. Georgia State's had some pretty bad lapses, slow on rotations, and just getting killed by ball movement. And so I think priority one is going to have to be on the defensive end because, again, it's something that Coach and yours talked about and it's something that you know we've noticed from teams that have succeeded against Georgia State is that the momentum on the defense gets you going on the offensive end and the other reason I'd be more worried is that I think Richmond was ready defensively and a good tough-nosed defensive team and that's not the the norm that Georgia State's going to face nor does Georgia State get made to look like that on offense very much I mean when the shots aren't falling they aren't falling but I sort of disagree like the ball movement is usually there and you're getting a lot of assists, especially when Georgia State's playing well. And Richmond took them out of that. But I've got a feeling, especially with the guards that Georgia State got, that that's what I can bank on. You know, I think that Georgia State's going to be able to put up in the neighborhood of 80 a game as they've been able to do the last two years. I don't think that that's where my concerns are. Uh, if you want to call them concerns, it'd be more about they've got to lock up some stuff on the defensive end, and particularly from. You know, the perimeter, like, you know that you've got these worries with LEL's been out, but, you know, LEL Sisseme isn't going to be the difference between you being out on a three-point shooter in the corner. Like, I'd hope that's not. on guys who, what, right, exactly. Like, it, if something is going wrong, if that is why you are not doing well perimeter defense, and it's a lot of the guys you need to be banking on and playing a lot of minutes and who have played together some more with the the, the upperclassmen guards. And so... I don't know that it's a concern. I think you can say some of it is that you played two good three-point shooting teams that have offenses that were flowing and in Northeastern's case just <laughs> weren't missing. It was just the craziest thing in that first half against Northeastern where some of them were really good looks, some of them were the shots were just going in and there's not a whole lot you can defend when guys are just making contested threes like that, but uh, what you do is you hold them to 315 from 3 in the second half and then get the offense going. 
But yeah, I mean, I think that the defense is where I, my my interest is peak because it got to the point where, and I'm not saying this to diss on Kalik Brooks, but Kalik Brooks came in in the first half against Richmond. It was pretty late on, and I don't think he stayed in for much longer than a possession or two. But Kalik is a guy that Coach Lanier has gone to in games um, where he's looking for some energy on defense. And because that's basically the one thing that Kalik brings is he plays hard. And at the defensive end, especially, that's where his energy shows. He's not really, when he's out there, he's going to be basically the fifth offensive guy. Although he did have a nice couple of shots in the USA series last year that ended up being a really big deal in sweeping those two games. But I just, that was something that pointed to me that he was looking for someone to come in and just start playing more in it on defense. And I don't know if it worked and, you know, they started the second half in a zone that they kind of went away from pretty fast because Richmond started having success against it. But I'm not Mr. Broad takeaway man from the, that game either, because it's one game against a good team. And like I say, as long as you continue to improve on the stuff that you need to improve on, you're going to forget about it by the time the season's over, especially if you're able to win the Sunbelt tournament, get back to the NCAA tournament. But it's definitely something where you've got to look at those factors that went wrong or have gone wrong. And, you know, that's what you've got to focus on because a lot of it for me isn't even stuff you can point to with LEL. Maybe that was the case with the, the exhibition games. But once you got into the season, you're playing teams that are on your level of talent. That hasn't really been it for me. I mean, maybe there's certain things that you can point to that if LEL is out there, this is going better, or this is, but... There's enough stuff with the guys that you think you were going to be relying on anyway. You got to clean up, got to get cleaned up that that's not even, I'm not even talking about LAL right now. That's fair. You know, that, that's kind of where I was at with the defense. I just think, you know, as the season goes on and, you know, rotations get a little tighter and, you know, guys get healthy, specifically LEL, you'll see that defensive number for Georgia state kind of improve. I mean, you'd at least hope so. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see kind of what I don't think Richmond was a wake up call. Um, I think Georgia state is still a very good team, um, but it'll be interesting to see how the rest of their out of conference shakes out after kind of just that game and just where they are and, you know, going forward, what is the construction of this team going to look like with, you know, if there's injuries or, you know, if some guy's out, but another guy, or if somebody's really hot, like what, what's going to happen? Yeah. And, and something else is that Richmond is a mid-major team, you know, upper mid-major. It's not really the mid-major in the same way the Sunbelt is, but it's harder to sneak up on a team like that. You can tell that they did their homework for that game. They had a defense tailored to take Georgia state out of their comfort zone and it worked. And Georgia state made it, a five-point game pretty late on in the first half, and Richmond immediately went on a run, put a stop to that, and in the second half just ran away with things. It's easier to go into sometimes maybe more talented programs that are from power conferences that on a night where they're just like, oh, this is a team from the Sun Belt, whatever, we can we can practice, but it's not like that bit, like we're going to beat them. That's the team that you can sneak up on and get a win by. And it was very clear that that wasn't the case, that Richmond had a lot of respect for Georgia state and weren't getting fooled. We're ready. They knew what the task was and they did it. And so that, like you say, I'm pointing to things that I think Georgia state needs to work on to 
continue to find ways to win games and especially later on in the year i think stuff like that's going to matter against teams like app state who beat you in the championship against teams like louisiana there's some good three-point shooting teams in the conference so that specifically is going to be something you're going to need to work on but yeah like you say it's it's not a situation where the one game foretells doom you're you still got two wins you're still two and one and this weekend got coming up it's not exactly the same as the Arkansas State situation, uh, but it is a tournament in High Point. Georgia State will play William & Mary on Saturday at 5 p.m. Uh, broadcast details. TBD is the time of recording. You might have to rely on just the old stats, like, I guess, in the old days. I don't know how that works. Um, and then on Sunday, they will either play Howard or High Point either at two or five, depending on if they win or lose on Saturday. And that are, that are those games are all in high point. And they're all teams that are pretty significantly lower in ratings than Georgia State is. But it's still going to be, just like I was saying about Arkansas State, about doing what you do well, or it's not going to matter how good or bad the team is. But it's definitely not a situation where you're going and playing another Richmond right away. It's teams you should look at and go... If we can execute our game, we should be able to get into a flow. We should be able to put up some points, get some stops. And so, like you say, interesting to see what will happen. Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of unfortunate because Georgia State, I just checked Ken Palm and Georgia State kind of dropped down a little bit, um, which you expect that after that Richmond game. You know, it's not a bad Five thing. spots. Yeah. Um, but they are still over a hundred spots away from the two teams that they're playing potentially in the, uh, sorry, I didn't even check, uh, William and the Mary. legends classic. The yes. Mary's 298. Yeah. So, you know, there's still a hundred, almost 200 spots away from the three teams that they'll potentially see this weekend. Um, I'm not saying that they need to clean a clock or anything like that, but they need to play well. You know, you want to see them find ways to run the Georgia State offense, play Georgia State defense, um, you know, get guys in good, improve on those three-point shooting numbers and also, you know, kind of stop a team from shooting lights out from three against you, you know. And you want to feel a little bit more comfortable with the way that – the big men rotation is going right now. I think we are still on the highs of highs with Jalen Thomas. Again, it's so early in the season. It's not necessarily worth breaking down. I'll say he's been coming along a little slower than I would have liked. Um, And I think this would be a nice opportunity for, you know, just kind of one of those return to form games that we saw last year. Um, So hopefully, you know, the team can finally put something together in that department, because I think I feel like the bigs have not been as impactful uh, as I would have liked them to be. And granted, Thomas is healthy, but Saseme is not. So, you know, until he comes back or you're just kind of going to be playing some guys who otherwise wouldn't be getting a ton, ton of minutes. Um, But, you know, you want to see the bigs do some pretty nice work in this upcoming stretch. You've seen good energy, I think, from Jaheim Hudson. I think he's going to be really good as he continues to grow. You've seen some of that as well with Caleb Scott. But, you know, when Jalen Thomas isn't firing on those cylinders and you don't have LEL, with the minutes those guys are playing, you need a little bit more than just like, oh, they've got good energy. Like you want to just say like they had a good game and 
they're, st- they're still learning. They haven't really had that much experience at this level and playing these type of minutes. And so it's not to say anything bad about them. It's just reality of they're laying on the job a little bit. Uh, like you say, stuff that you can, you can go into this game, just do what you're, you want to do and the results come what may. But I will say that I will be more concerned and, you know, closer to capital C concerned if they lose either of these games or if they look bad through these games because, you know, I think end of the day, the talent should win out, but it's not about talent. You know, there's stuff that is nothing to do with talent. The Georgia state has got to start doing better. And I guess the other thing I would say is that you're coming off of a loss that if they do not come out looking a little more inspired off of that loss, which is something the coach and you talked about is just like that. It, it it should be a loss that they can learn something from and that should matter in their development. Then it'd be a concern just because it is one of those, like you just lost by 16 and it was really more than that on the road. And you're playing but four days later. Like it's, it's a game that's tailor made for you come out on fire, win comfortably and feel like you've righted the ship. And so I'm a little bit, you know, the expectations are such that that's what you want to see. And so I'm still not really going to be worried until one of these games is a loss, but it's been more of a struggle than hoped for early on for the men's basketball team. And that's something that maybe we weren't hoping for. Certainly uh, had flowery ambitions for this team. I just don't think they can get there, uh, but there's, they're going to have to put in the hard work to make it happen. Yeah, but, you know, they can still do it. They definitely still can do it. And, you know, do we have a timeline on LEL's injury, by the way? I don't believe that we do. No, it's I mean, they're just being careful with it. It's not something that they want to rush him back from. It's not they want him to be 100 percent to play the real meaningful games this year. There's no desire to push him back in. And again, you're making the most of it. I think the minutes that these young bigs are getting is going to pay off. And I think it's not gone to plan so far with Jalen, but I think that there's a need for him to play without LEL and, and tap into some of what he was doing well when he was playing out there with LEL. I think they had a connection there. They've complement each other really well, but you're not always going to have situations where both of them can be out there. So I think all around, it's going to be a benefit you're just obviously playing without one of your better guys and particularly just the energy as we've talked about on this, you know, pod multiple times, you can't replicate that, but you kind of need guys to figure out how to replicate that. And so it's going to be good in these games as they continue to get the time to do so. Okay. So one last item of business before we get you guys out of here this week, we did have another question from the hardest working man in showbiz, Mike from Marietta himself, asking us thoughts on GSU men's soccer, making a run in the upcoming NCAA tournament. So if for some reason you're not aware, Georgia state men's soccer earned an at large berth in the 2021 NCAA tournament, despite following two to one in overtime in the Mac championship game to Northern Illinois, this is their fifth ever NCAA bid. They play at Charlotte on Thursday night at 7 p.m. on ESPN Plus, with the winner of that game advancing to face the three-seed Georgetown on Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern. So, gentlemen, what are your thoughts? You know, it's 
It's funny because you know, we obviously follow all of the Georgia State accounts, and, you know, kind of keep a pulse on it. And I remember just kind of always seeing the men's soccer tweets being like, oh, Georgia State won. Cool. Oh, Georgia State won. Cool. Oh, Georgia. I mean, you know, Georgia State, I feel like they're upsetting a good bit of like power conference teams and like really doing well in, you know, Mac play. So it's a good reward for them at the end of the season. Obviously, you never want to lose in your championship game, you know, especially the way that they did where they went up, I believe, right uh, close to the end of the first half and then just let uh, an IU score in the second half and then Georgia State couldn't find a goal in the extra time. But um, it's really it's it's a really good reward for them that they can find a way to get some postseason play. So, you know, hopefully they find a way to up, I don't know if they're no, I don't think upsetting Charlotte is the term, but hopefully they can beat Charlotte and, you know, well, go play road game. It is going to be a yeah. technical upset. True, I don't true. I don't think the seed lines are that different between in this round, but it would be an upset and it would be, I believe, Georgia State's first win in the NCAA tournament as a men's soccer program. And it's, you know, this is the seventh straight year they've gone to a conference championship. Um, and they have, they, they won in 2018, I believe. Uh, and it's a situation where you've had a lot of the success. And I think it's time that you build on that and get a win and then get ready for Sunday. See what you can do against the three seed and the whole thing, Georgetown. And so, yeah, I, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how they play the night that this pod drops is when the game happens on Thursday and you know, maybe it'd be on Thursday. Good luck for the thirds. And of course, no episode of the Thursday night podcast would be complete without sports bits at the end. And we've got some cool stuff coming up this week in the Panthers schedule. So happening probably right now, if you're one of the first people listening to this podcast uh, this week, volleyball versus number four, Arkansas state in the Sunbelt Conference Championship, Foley, Alabama, 3.30 p.m. on ESPN+. And later tonight, men's soccer at Charlotte, of course, as we just talked about in the NCAA tournament, 7 p.m. also on ESPN+. Friday, track and field hosting the blue-white meet at Lakewood Stadium, south of Atlanta, at 1 p.m. Saturday, women's basketball at North Alabama in Florence, Alabama, at 2 p.m. That game will be on ESPN+. Football, of course, versus Arkansas State in Center Park Stadium, 2 p.m. on ESPN3, WRAS-FM 88.5 with Dave Cohen on the call. And men's basketball versus William & Mary in the Legends Classic at High Point. Again, we don't have any information really at all about streaming or radio for that. I don't believe there's going to be radio. But nevertheless, that game is happening at 5 p.m. And then, of course, the next day, men's basketball playing either High Point or Howard in the Legends Classic as the final game of that tournament gets underway, depending on the result of the Saturday contest. That will be either at 2 p.m. or 5 p.m. And last but certainly not least, women's basketball traveling to Alabama A&M in Huntsville, Alabama at 6 p.m. So lots of stuff coming up this weekend in Panther Athletics. We will be at Football versus Arkansas State. Hope to see you there. But uh, if not, We'll catch you in the next episode. Thanks for listening and go Panthers. If you like what we do and want to help out, consider subscribing to us on Patreon. Patreon membership is just $5 a month and gets you access to a variety of exclusive content made just for our subscribers. You can also connect with us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as at Thursday night. And of course, you can always catch our written material on our website, thursdaynight.com. 
The Thursday Night Podcast is a production of and copyright 2021 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC. All rights reserved.